You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. This is the audio for the sequel commentary for the Rankin-Bass special Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, for editing purposes, I will announce when I press play. And you, Well, we, we haven't done this in a while, but I know what you're doing. We, we, we know what we're doing. All right, so I am going to press play now. Hello, and welcome to the sequel commentary for Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the uh, Rankin-Bass 1970s stop-motion Christmas special, not claymation. That is a both a copywritten and patented process uh, from Will Vinton. Uh, this is stop-motion, completely different. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is Thrasher, uh, one of your hosts for sequel cast. I'm doing this one solo. And we're going to have a lot to talk about. So this is this is not my personal favorite Christmas special, but it's one I like. Uh, right off the bat, I love the handmade quality to this. I just love that you can see all the craftsmanship, all the animators and set builders and puppet designers put into these creations. And even when it is scaled up, for all I know, there's a 4K remaster of this uh, lurking around there somewhere. Even when it's scaled up, even when that expands the flaws, I love to see them because I love seeing the artist's hand and the craftsperson's hand all over old-fashioned analog entertainments like this. Oh, but this is a framing device Rankin Bass used in a lot of their specials where there's kind of a whimsical person, usually a postman. Uh, in fact, this postman character did come back uh, a few times. He's in the Easter Bunnies coming to town, which uh, Santa Claus coming to town attempts to create an origin story for Santa Claus. The Easter Bunnies coming to town does the exact same thing uh, for the Easter Bunny, and it is amazing. You need to see it because it ties it into the classic children's story, the little engine that could, uh, and also involves a kingdom of hobos. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Easter. We're going to talk about this Christmas special. So this is Fred Astaire uh, as the postman. Uh, he was a, a dancer, a singer. He was really, he was an all-round entertainer, but he's remembered mostly uh, for his dancing. As you can see, reproduced here <laughs> in stop-motion animation. Uh, if you Also, if you want a, a, a treat... Uh, I almost said The Sound of Music, which, oddly enough, I am not uh, that fond of. But uh, if you want to see Fred Astaire's last performance, uh, watch Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John. It is very campy. It is not as fun as it should be for being as campy uh, as it is. Uh, but again, if you, want to, if you want to see the way the way he went out, still dancing like he used to uh, in, in his, into his old age, at least that's fun. Those segments are, segments are really nice. Uh, and this is something that audiences I don't think would have any patience for today. Uh, this is pretty much the complete credits for the special that we're seeing here. Uh, oh, Jules Bass. So Rankin Bass. Jules Bass was, uh, you know, the lyricist for this. He was a writer, producer, songwriter. Uh, he was active in producing these kinds of holiday specials up until his death in October 25th. 2022 uh it was he was an amazingly prolific uh career uh and he did not he did not stop 
and his fingerprints are all over this. Uh, his partner, uh, Arthur Rankin, unfortunately passed away in January 30th, uh, 2014. And it is my understanding he was largely retired uh, at that point. Although, strangely enough, in the, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, there were all these CGI sequels to these kinds of specials uh, that went direct to video. Oh, I love how dour this looks. All right, so our main antagonist, Burgomeister Meisterberger, he is played by Paul Fries, one of the most prolific and iconic uh, voice actors who's ever lived. And we've talked about him recently because we recently covered the Rocky and Bullwinkle film series. Um, this is Paul Fries's classic kind of Eastern European accent. It's just about the exact same voice used for Boris Baden, although the register is slightly higher, but it's big, it's bombastic, it's threatening. Um, so there's a great article, it's a bi biography of Paul Fries that was done as an article in Film Facts magazine, uh, and it points out this voice specifically, because uh, Paul Fries did a lot of radio, and this kind of Eastern European character was something he would often do. And there's a story in the 1950s Paul Fries uh, did, you know, his Eastern European character voice uh, on, on a radio show. And there was a Ukrainian man in the audience. And the Ukrainian man heard this and was so taken by this accent, he's like, oh, there's another Ukrainian. And this particular U Ukrainian man, he, he had come to America as a refugee during World War II. And he was just sort of so thrilled to find another Ukrainian. Um, Paul Fries was not Ukrainian. Uh, he was uh, uh, born uh, in the United. He was born in the United States. Uh, this was just kind of an accent he 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 developed for comedic purposes. So the story goes that this Ukrainian man um, m went to meet Paul Fries backstage, you know, live studio audience and all that, and you know, came in and was like, "Oh, Mister Fries, it is so good, uh, you know, to, to hear another Ukrainian." And Paul Fries speaking at in his normal speaking voice said oh no no i'm not uh, i'm not ukrainian that's just a voice i did and the man from the audience took it personally he's like what you've turned your back on your heritage you why would you deny that you're ukrainian you know we we should come together do you know how scattered we are after world war 2 and and the guys and and paul free's like no no sir no disrespect meant this is a character i'm playing i have no connection you know i'm not i'm not from your country i am not one of your countrymen and it was just a fascinating story about a about a misunderstanding that Paul Freeze's Paul Freeze could do a performance so captivating that a person from a particular country would think that Paul Freeze was born and bred in that country. All right, so after that long Paul Freeze tangent, so the Rankin Bass specials they love playing around with Christmas iconography. Um, and even, whether or not they're trying to find an origin story for, it. but again. This is an origin story. So these are the Kringle Elves. So right off the bat, that's where the name Kringle comes from. I did a little bit of pre-search for this commentary. I am not entirely sure where the name Chris Kringle comes from. Uh, of course, the, the origin of Santa Claus is St. Nicholas, who was a uh, Catholic saint who, among other things, became the patron saint of children. Also a patron saint of thieves, uh, you know, sneaking into houses and all that. Uh, but anyway, uh, and Chris Kringle, you know, Santa Claus itself is a corruption of, or, or a development, depending on how you look at language, of St. Nicholas. Uh, as it was told to me, NPR did a, a thing about how Santa Claus went from being a, a Catholic saint to practically a secular figure that is a mascot for all the December, for a lot, well, not all, but a lot of December holidays, the whole December holiday season. Um, as, as they put it together, and, and some linguists had pointed out, it became Santa Claus because you had a lot of uh, Dutch uh, immigrants in the United States, you know, bringing over their, uh, their Christmas traditions. And they observe, you know, and and they the way they pronounce Saint Nicholas was Saint Nicholas, uh, just because you know that that's that's the way it worked uh, in in their own language, and uh, Saint Nicholas uh, gradually just became part of the American vernacular as Santa Claus. 
It just occurred to me, and I don't know why this this is only occurring. I've seen this like hundreds of times. It's only occurring to me now. Uh, Mama Kringle, the the only woman elf that we are seeing among the Kringles, she's like a woman with normal human proportions, whereas all of the elves are tiny and skittering around. So are we to believe that within the framework of this special, the elves kind of operate like a beehive, like she's like a queen who sits in the center of the hive, constantly uh, pregnant, constantly producing new elves. And the elves go out and do all the do all the worker stuff, namely gathering wood to turn into whimsical toys, which they're just compelled to make, I suppose. It's part of a very complicated toy-based ecosystem they live in. This... This song, this difficult responsibility song, it comes back later in the special uh, with a decidedly, this is what's great, it is both a hero song and a villain song. Because here, you know, it's all about the young Santa Claus kind of learning his Kringle responsibilities and learning the Kringle history, and it's very triumphant, and isn't it great to make toys? This song comes back later because that that dour community we saw run by Burgermeister Meisterberger Toys have been banned. He sings his own version of this song, explaining all the toys he wants to ban. And all these toys that they mention come back. But instead of being a fun version of the toy, it's a very, like, sinister version of the toy. And that's something I love. I love it when a musical can refer back to itself musically. So I've heard it it said, you know, these, again, this is not claymation. This is stop motion animation. Technically speaking, these are articulated puppets. Uh, They have, uh, they have flexible parts. They have stiff parts. They have joints. uh, And you can't see it. Well, probably you can't see it unless you're watching like a very like particular remaster. Um, but they are most of the time held up by strings, just like very, very thin, practically fishing line. And that's how they do some of these sort of like those seals. Those seals shouldn't be able to stand up like they are without having some sort of support. Well, that support is a string that you are not seeing here. And there we get another part of the origin story. Santa says, ho, 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 because he learned to laugh from the seals. Which I thought was really whimsical, but at the same time, whenever he says ho, 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 it sounds like he's choking on something. It sounds like he's desperately asking someone to perform the Heimlich because it comes out that ho, ho, ho. So playing the adult Santa Claus, uh, that's Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney is a fascinating figure. Um, if, if, if you aren't into old Hollywood and you know Mickey Rooney, you probably only know him from his appearance in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is, I'm going to say, embarrassing at best and very, very racist at worst. He plays a, a Japanese guy. Um, and it's whatever you're imagining, it's 3% worse than that. Um, but this is Mickey Rooney. This is Mickey Rooney at his best when he's just being an entertainer. So Mickey Rooney was a child star in uh, radio and film. Uh, you know, he he had a very public uh, romantic relationship with Judy Garland. Which, not knowing too many details about that, I don't know if that was mo- mainly played up or done for the studios, or if they really whether they really had a deep relationship, but he always speaks of her fondly in interviews. You know, he was the go-to person if you wanted to talk about pre-addiction uh, Judy Garland. But, you know, he he was just like a, a nice guy, and he, he, had an, he had a mostly successful transition from being a child actor to being an adult actor, and that became in part by just being the consummate guest star. He guest starred on everything. Uh, he guest stars as himself on a great episode of The Simpsons, the one where they make the Radioactive Man movie, and it really mocks his iconic child star status. <laughs> um, but he also, this movie, this was made in uh, 1970. That was five years after Mickey Rooney had appeared in the Frankie and Annette Beach movie, How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, uh, which is one of the lesser known ones. The only reason he did that is that he had gotten into some tax trouble and needed a few thousand dollars really quick 
to uh, settle a tax debt before it blew up into a whole legal kerfuffle. So, you know, Samuel will say, Arkoff's looking for a star. He's like, yeah, I'll do your shit beach movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, shows, you know, shows up for a few days on set, does his stuff, collects his money. Everything works out fine. Um, so that was when he was still kind of going for starring roles. But this is now firmly in the Mickey Rooney's going to be a guest star on everything status. Um, oh, you know, now that I think about it, uh, a lot of people younger than me know Mickey Rooney because he appears in the first Night at the Museum film. He plays this rascally old uh, museum guard who, you know, is up to some some mischief and gets to gets to beat up Ben Stiller. And who doesn't want to see that? Ah, now this is this we're going to see now why the toys are banned. It's, they're banned because Burgermeister Meisterberger slipped on a toy, broke his leg. And isn't that just a shitty adult thing to do? One accident happens and they take away all the kids' toys. Ugh, bad decision. Now, here we're coming back to that song. Now it's the Burgomeister singing about his responsibility and he's going to ban every toy and every toy mentioned in the previous version of the songs are going to get referred to. I got to say, for a man with a broken ankle slash leg, he is spry. Deflate it, and I don't want to debate it. I just, oh, I love the animation in the segment. I also, I love the traditional 2D animation in the picture book. That that shot of the tin soldier being melted down is so gruesome and so much more detailed than it needs to be. I absolutely love that. So, one of the reasons the animation in this is so good, aside from Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass really kind of knowing how to write and produce towards stop-motion animation, they'd been doing it for years at this point and were very good at it, um, would be their animation heads. So the animation heads on this film are two uh, Japanese animators. Uh, there was, let me see, there was uh, Takio Nakamura and Hiroshi uh, Hiroshi Tabata. Uh, they have fascinating careers. So, uh, Takio Nakamura, he did the creature animation in Pokemon Blue, the ori- one that was one of the original two Pokemon releases for the original Game Boy. That's like how long his animation career uh, career went, and just the, you know the various things he worked on. I, that That is amazing to go from this special and through the years finding your way into one of the most iconic video games of the 20th and 21st century, a video game franchise that's still going strong. But I really, really, really want to bring him up because he did a lot of the animation in Nutcracker, the Nutcracker Fantasy, the Nutcracker Fantasy was a 1979 stop-motion uh, animated film. Uh, he was he, uh, he was straight up the full-on director of it. It is, of course, based on the E.T.A. Hoffman story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, uh, adapted by uh, Thomas Joachim. Uh, there was also story work done by Shintaru Tsuji. Uh, I had this presumably taped off HBO on a, on a Betamax tape when I was a kid, but I didn't have the whole thing. I just had the middle and I've been trying to track down a full copy of this for ages. Hopefully I will find it, but it's got an amazing cast. Dick Van Patten is the King. Joanne Worley from Laugh-In is Queen Morphia. Uh, Christopher Lee is Uncle Drosselmeyer. And I cannot think of a better Uncle Drosselmeyer. Roddy McDowell is in it. Ava Gabor, uh, Michelle Lee, or, uh, it's really, uh, really amazing, but it's this really, really weird phantasmagoric retelling of the Nutcracker done in stop motion animation that adds all sorts of weird mythology. And I feel like every seven years we get a new adaptation of the Nutcracker that overly complicates it and add a bunch, adds a bunch of unnecessary mythology in here. It works because the rat King is just a cruel figure with a heart trapped in a block of stone. Um, but the music, the music kind of sounds like the moody blues <clears throat> mixed with electric light orchestra. It, it must be seen to be believed. If you can find Nutcracker Fantasy directed by Takio Nakamura, watch it. Now, back to this special. 
So something I, I love is the color design, where St. Nicholas is allowed to have those bright technicolor blue eyes, that bright technicolor red hair, the bright technicolor oversaturated red <clears throat> on his robes, but they purposefully build these puppets, because this is practical effects, all these other puppets, their colors are washed out because that's how the puppets were designed. Same thing for the sets, <clears throat> same thing uh, for the school marm here who you can tell she's the love interest because she's the only non-Kringle woman with dialogue uh, that we've seen so far. But also, her hair color is kind of complementary to St. Nicholas here. Or pre-St. Nicholas, I should say. And and I guess I should say, all of this origin story stuff has nothing to do with the Catholic saint, St. Nicholas. It's all pretty much an invention for this special. That being said, Lives of the Saints can be fascinating, whether you believe that they were real or not. So definitely look it up. Uh, St. Nicholas is credited with doing some uh, phenomenal things. Anyway, this is a fun vocal performance here. Like I love, I love the, way, the way she just so quickly melts uh, for uh, Santa Claus after this one act of kindness. Now, I notice this is like set in like a vaguely medieval time. It looks like there's like a toy radio in that pile of toys. All right. Now, this is one of the scenes where if I was watching this at home, I would probably be checking out. I think this song, this song is just kind of too... It starts out too slow. It makes it seem like it's going to be dour. And then you're just exhausted and drained from the dourness by the time it picks up here. And this is, uh, and you know, this is always like one of those things. It's, it's, it's one of those songs where I'm sure at the time it seemed very, very quaint and very, very charming and very, very whimsical. But then when you hear it today, whether it's divorced from the special or in the special, it doesn't really hold up to, to modern eyes. It just seems it just seems really really creepy because it's all about like giving and, and like kissing and like it's just it's weird. Like this this should be. It sounds like it's a romantic song, but it shouldn't be about romance. It should be about generosity, and and I think that's all of the song's flaws come out of that schism. Now, I'm about 21 minutes into this roughly 50-minute special. It occurs to me, this has been released on virtually every home video format. Uh, it is broadcast on cable uh, and sometimes on like broadcast television uh, in, in the States every, uh, every year. And there are lots of different cuts of it. And... This, what I am watching right now, it is a rip, it is supposed to be a rip from a DVD release, but because this has been cut so many times, you don't necessarily know what cut you're watching, whether you're streaming it, whether you have a DVD, so sometimes there are awkward cuts around commercial breaks, so it is entirely possible that at some point this audio commentary may go out of sync with the version you're watching depending on what version you are seeing. And uh, that's something that really can't be helped. Uh, and, and honestly, I'm, if, if, it, if it has happened, it probably happened during the Burgomeister's version of the Responsibility song. Because for some reason, and I don't know why, when this broadcasts on the Family Channel in the States, they drop a commercial break in the middle of that song, and you pretty much lose a whole verse when that happens. Baffling choice. Now, this is where the animation should be showing its holes because the Rankin-Bass figures never really run convincingly, but that little Super Mario run that they give Santa Claus looks so whimsical, I can't help but love it. So I think it's it's one of those things where a, a deficiency of the animation only makes this thing better. Now, this wouldn't be a Rankin-Bass Christmas special if they didn't introduce way too much magic way too fast. And here we're going to get it from uh, The Winter Warlock. And this has always stuck with me. So in the late 90s, 
back when Bill Gates and Microsoft were in uh, were, were going through different legal proceedings based around whether they were violating monopoly and anti-monopoly and antitrust laws, Chris Kattan played uh, Bill Gates on Weekend Update on SNL because uh, I think I think at the time he had like he had bought a stake in 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 something maybe it was CNET and and that was kind of making waves and the joke was he had bought a stake in NBC. Uh, and and was like changing the programming to make himself look good, and he's like, "Oh, you know what we're gonna do? Instead of instead of doing this interview, we're just gonna watch Santa Claus is coming to town." And they cut to Santa's confrontation with the Winter Warlock, and it's just Chris Kattan dubbing all the voices with like Santa talking about, oh, "I have to deliver all these Microsoft products," and the Winter Warlock being, "Oh no, that's monopolistic." And then when the Winter Warlock's heart is warmed, "Oh, I've changed my mind. Microsoft is great." It was. I like that they went through the trouble of licensing the animation for that joke. And and so whenever I see this now, I always think of Chris Kattan dubbing these voices to do a Bill Gates sketch. So that's what goes on in my head. But this Winter Warlock, I love how scary he is with like the sharp teeth and the harsh features. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's it's one of those things where you know when I was a kid watching the other Rankin Bass uh, holiday special, the uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the Bumble used to terrify me uh, to the point where I would often leave the room. Some years I wouldn't even watch the special. It wasn't until I rewatched it in my teens that I was like, oh, this is silly. I want what a fool I was to be afraid of it. But, but this was back when children entertainment, a uh, children's entertainment, wasn't afraid to be a little scary. Uh, so my only. My only disappointment is the winter, the winter Warlock. I love how scary he is. I wish we got a little bit more of the scary Winter Warlock. I wish he was a little bit more menacing. That being said, he's fun as a kindly old wizard. You know, I, I like the transformation. Again, you know, the gift of generosity. Uh, it's it, it can improve both the, the one who gives the gift and the one who receives it. And that's something else that sticks with me on this rewatching. This whole like emphasis on on kissing, like everybody kisses the toy when they get it. The Winter Warlock is given a choo choo train again in this pseudo medieval setting, uh, and and immediately just starts kissing the train, which is it's a very like little kid thing to do, but it's so weird. This is another uh, fun song. I've always I've always liked the message of one foot in front of the other, and I love the way that they keep surprising you with the animation. Santa Claus opening a door in a glacier, popping up behind the Winter Warlock, doing this whole flying backwards walk thing. He's inventing the moonwalk here, as we can see. But it's one of those things, like, you know, it's all done with strings. You can't see the strings. Oh, but uh, the other uh, animation uh, animation head on this movie, uh, Hiroshi Tabata, he worked with the with Rankin Bass for ages. He worked on Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. He worked on the movie Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, which is the crossover you never knew you wanted, but upon seeing it, you will discover you didn't want it. Although Ethel Merman plays. Uh, she plays like Annie Oakley or an Annie Oakley type. It's a very bizarre plot where Frosty the Snowman and his snow family get magic snowflakes from a winter warlock, a different one presumably, so that they can visit, you know, visit America in the summer and then they join a circus. It's very weird. It's not there it's not Rankin Bass's best work, but if you're a completist, might as well watch it. But he also did Jack Frost, which is another really fun uh fun Christmas special that has an origin story for Jack Frost that uh, it's funny. It's a love story about unrequited love because Jack Frost doesn't get the girl. It's what, you know, he, he matures and realizes, well, maybe I'm not the best person for this person. If I truly love them, I will leave them to find the love they deserve. And it's, it's melancholy, but it's true. That's something you need to learn as you, as you grow up, you know, uh, Sometimes not everyone can reciprocate the way you want them to, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes distance, sometimes distance is what you need. 
um, Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which is, I believe, uh, Mickey Rooney reprises his role as Santa Claus. That's based on the L. Frank Baum uh, Santa Claus origin story, which is even more whimsical and magical than this, uh, and involves immortality and demons and... Uh, like some of the monsters look like they stepped straight out of an anime. Uh, it's very action heavy. Some of the voices for Thundercats are in that. Oh, there's Pinocchio's Christmas, which has that has one of the, the Rankin Bass's funner songs in a Rankin Bass special, where the cat and the fox are telling Pinocchio all these lies, and they sing this song where it's always you know that's the honest truth, or may lightning strike a tree and like trees keep blowing up everywhere as they tell increasingly wilder lies. Oh, and, uh, uh, Hiroshi Tabata also worked on the special that I was originally going to do an audio commentary for, cause it's such an anomaly, but I could not find it in time. The leprechauns Christmas gold, the 1981 Franken Bass Christmas special. Because you know what you think of when you think of uh, when you think of leprechauns, Christmas. It's it's a it's a, a bizarre trifle about an Irish sailor who goes to an island of leprechauns to get a Christmas tree, and then gets involved in a feud between the leprechauns and a banshee. And there's this whole thing about Christmas gold. I my description's not doing it justice. If you can find it, just watch it. I think the only reason it exists is that there's a delightful Christmas song called Christmas in Killarney, which is all about going back to visit your whole Irish family for Christmas. You know, it's Christmas in Killarney with all your folks from home. I think they realized they could get the rights to that. Bing Crosby is, is the one you hear when you hear it in a Christmas song rotation. It's the Bing Crosby version. I think they realize, oh, we can get the, we can get the rights to that. Uh, let's do something. Let's Irish this up. Uh, put in some leprechauns. All right, so with Toys Band, uh, Chris Kringle and uh, the elves, with the help of the Winter Warlock, are going to start secretly smuggling toys into the town, which is something I, I, I will admit, like, I I remember, so I, I did a lot of, like, tabletop RPG. I still do do a lot of tabletop RPGs. I, I write and illustrate them, for, for goodness sake. Uh Let's see. So, hey, check out the 100 Oddities series by Skirmisher Publishing, by the way. I got to get that plug in. Um, so anyway, I did a lot of that like when I was a, when I was a kid. And, you know, back in the back in the 90s, uh, it's it was much more of a thing in the 80s and 90s. I don't know if anybody gives a damn about this now, but there are a lot of people who due to some misinformation assumed that role, tabletop role playing games were evil and led to Satan worship and drug use and suicide. All this absolute nonsense. So as a result, you might like you might invite a kid over to play a tabletop RPG only to find out that their parents are aghast and they're not allowed to do it. And I remember there was this one incident. Um, my friend Todd had a girlfriend and, you know, she wanted to join us for our game of Werewolf the Apocalypse and which a great uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse second edition. Really good game. Uh, still for me comes second to Mage the Ascension second edition, which is still, I think, my favorite game of all time. Uh written and edited and developed by Phil Bricado, marvelous, marvelous author, bit of a ranter when you get him going, but I can't hold that against him. Uh, if you've listened to me, you know, I can run off at the mouth, especially in one of these commentaries. But anyway, her mother believed all the nonsense uh, about tabletop RPGs. And so she was, she was explicitly not allowed to hang out with us. If that's what we were doing to the point, And this is, and, and having, ha- having, you know, maintain contact with my friend Todd and uh, with his girlfriend at the time. They did eventually get married, although they are uh, split up now. Uh, the, you know, I, I maintain, you know, ties with them into my adulthood and uh, learn more and more about, about the girlfriend's mother and who, who I had the unfortunate distinction of meeting twice. That woman was a psychopath. Uh, and at one point, would actually call my mother to verify whether or not we were going to play tabletop RPGs. And I remember once saying, this woman's a lunatic. Can't you just lie and say we're not going to do this? Oh, and my mother, you know, being who she was, oh, heavens no. Um, and it, like she, she has, my mother has so much respect for the role and authority of the, of the parent, especially the parent of some uh, of, of, of another of a child that isn't her own she never stops to think whether that parent is justified 
Um, so I will I will say this. I think it's okay. I, I think if a uh, if a parent is unreasonable, uh, it is okay to lie to them about whether or not you're going to play a tabletop RPG. Uh, you know, the, the world the world will be better for it. Uh, and you know, uh, at, at, I, I'm about to go. I was about to go into a story that's way too personal, but the. The, the 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 point is adult authority figures are very often in the wrong and sometimes it is the moral decision to oppose them toys are banned you have a moral responsibility to smuggle toys in that's all i'm saying that's where i line up with santa claus in this special so one thing that always stood out to me so the the the, the town doctor there with the sort of diamond shaped glasses if you notice in in the books, the king in the in the books used in both the difficult responsibility numbers have the same glasses, the same face, the same beard. And I've always wondered why that is. Because like his facial features, all these characters have a lot of character in their design. And so part of me wonders, is that just a character design they liked? So they said, sure, we'll make the king look like that too. Or is he meant to be a caricature of one of the people who worked on this? Like, is that supposed to be Arthur Rankin or Jules Bass or somebody else? I don't know, and I wish I could have found out in time for this audio commentary. But it's a it's a detail that always sticks with me whenever I watch it. Why all those characters have the same face? I love that officious little twerp uh, who's <laughs> working with the town guards. And I love that not only the town guards are identical, they don't have mouths and they don't have eyes. They don't have features that would establish their humanity as characters. They really are just brutal, unthinking tools of the state. <laughs> but they probably look good on a recruiting poster. I will say he Santa Claus does surrender pretty quick. Now this is where some of the specials always get weird when they depict fire. Um, here, you know, it look it looks like honestly it looks like some lamp gel that's just been cut into a fiery shape and 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 moved around in stop motion. Uh, as it spreads, you can see it's more convincing if they cut away from it and we just see the actual candle flicker on the kids' faces. The animation always gets a little bit hinky whenever fire shows up. Uh, it, I always wondered what medal, like what war did the Burgomeister Meisterberger get that medal in? Uh, when, when did he earn, the, earn that medal? Or is it one of those things where he's just a member of a whole lot of like orders connected to the nobility, so he just gets medals? Also, that's a very flattering statue. It's taller than him. It's a little thinner than him. Looks more athletic. Now, this is the other song that I would often check out of the special on. It's It does not seem of a piece with the rest of the music in this special. And it's... It's one of those love songs that makes love seem mournful and boring, despite the fact that uh, it's talking about love in these positive, glowing terms. Delightful process shots, some traditional 2D animation. But it's it's practically Disney princess-like, the way the birds just let her hair down, uh, which is actually kind of a shame because I feel like the character design with her hair up in the bun is a lot more successful than this with the hair down. Like in the 2D animation, hair looks all right, but here it just looks kind of like an afterthought. You know, it's kind of jazzy where the other songs are more sort of traditional Broadway musical-ish. Although one thing I love is when we see the 2D animated version uh, of the school marm, it still looks like a puppet. Like they didn't try to make her look human, which is a choice I actually, I really like. 
it's kind of like how we like in uh, in Bucky O'Hare how the characters in the animation and the characters in the comics and the characters in the action figures are 100% identical and that was intentional it's part of it's part of the fiction that they all have big holes in their boots which those holes are there so you can stand them up in in uh, play uh, play sets although this is uh you know, that's what you come to the sequel cast, sequel commentaries for. Tangents about Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. Uh, check them out. Check it out. Uh, actually, the podcast, um, the podcast What a Cartoon did a great episode about Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars. You'll get you'll you'll get what you want to know about Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Toad Wars from that. So, after you've listened to this audio commentary twice, download the Bucky O'Hare episode of What a Cartoon. I love these little props, but uh, but here we get into uh, and that's the thing is like in in like a lesser animation, you know he would just describe all the useless magical objects he has these dubious magical objects, but they made every single one he described. A craft person had to make those magic can all those magic candle stubs, but this is where they introduce some things. So where do the flying reindeer come from? Turns out the Winter Warlock just so happened to have magic seed corn, and the only thing it does is it makes reindeer fly. Which is a... a which is... Like, it gets the job done. Uh, I feel like if it was anything else, you would have to explain, well, why doesn't he just make everything fly? Well, because the magic doesn't work that way, as we've seen. Although, this doesn't exactly explain how they got out of the dungeon. I don't recall seeing a door get unlocked or, or chains on shackles being broken. Although then again, you know, reindeer can kick when they want to. Maybe the reindeer just kicked the door down. Oh, if you want a really good... Uh, a really good uh, villain song in a Rankin Bass Holiday Special. In uh, I believe it's the Jack Frost Rankin Bass Holiday Special. Uh, the villain Kubla Kraus sings a song called "There's the Rub," and he's a he's a Cossack. He's the king of the Cossacks. He's a Cossack tyrant, and the song is just him singing about all the other tyrants he wants to be, but he can't. Like he wants to be an evil shogun, but he commands no samurai. He wants to be a pharaoh but he doesn't have a pyramid. It's a great song that is often cut from the current television broadcast to make room for more ads. So, you know, you'll, you'll probably have to find a streaming version or a version uploaded to YouTube that's complete to get that song. So one thing that this special I absolutely love is that it gives you a sense of time. Because when Santa Claus is first introduced, uh he's introduced like as a baby and we see him as a child. We see him as a teenager. We see him as a young man. Now we're seeing him as an adult and with, with the beard growth, which is not just to symbolize him getting older and to show his age and maturity, but it's also a disguise because he's clean shaven on all the wanted posters. That's really sweet. And at some point, uh, they have to expand, uh, they, have to, they have to expand outside of Christmas, so uh, we are going to get to hear the origin of the Northern Lights, which have happened, I believe, because of because of his uh, his romance uh, with uh, the original Mrs. Claus. I say the original Mrs. Claus as if they cycle them in and out in these specials. No, no, she's just she's she's Mrs. Claus. Although the origin for the Claus name, that's something that. It seems so tacked on because they call him. He gets the alias Claus because he uh, because when he was found as a baby, he just had a tag, a metal tag with the word the name Claus on it. Maybe his name, maybe not. But like, I feel like that that shows a level of intention. Like it's that shows a level of intention like uh, in his biological parents that makes you think that that's going to be more important later and it, and it never comes back you you might as well have said he was in a hat box from the Klaus hat company and the name stuck interestingly enough the uh 
the uh, book, the Young Adult's Monster Blood Tattoo novel, which is the first book in a trilogy, that's how the character Rosamond uh, got uh, got his name in the first book. He was found as a, he was an orphan. He was a baby in a hat box, and the hat box was from the Rosamond Haberdashers. So the name just stuck. Oh, those squirrels are going to get it on. And yeah, the first like Christmas presents are their wedding presents. Even though we've already seen the first Christmas presents were the were the presents that the, were the toys that he was sneaking into the town. It's all it's all coming together though. This is this is how Christmas night becomes the night where he's going to give out his presents. Although it does mean that Santa spends every one of his wedding anniversaries not with his wife, but traveling the world. <laughs> Which is an implication I don't think the writers thought of when they set up this whole thing that he, that Santa and Mrs. Claus got married on the holiest night of the year, Christmas night. But yeah, knowing the Burgermeisters are after him, they try to get as far away from possible. Well, what's the farthest place from everywhere? The North Pole. And this is where we see that Mickey Rooney really can be a good actor like he you can see that he like he's putting these little inflections in his voice that do make him seem older uh, as the Santa Claus character now they say they're going to build a castle they don't say how they don't find an abandoned castle it's not magicked up they say they're going to build one and it's there which hey why not but I (laughs) It's one of those things, like, of all the things this special takes time to explain, Santa just gets a castle because he wants one. (laughs) I realize overall it's not important. It's just, again, something that sticks out to me with everything else they show. Uh, and that's that's the other thing I like. I love I love that that Mrs. Claus doesn't stay conventionally a hot school marm. Like she she ages into a more matronly figure, uh, which is which is nice again to establish the passage of time. And this is also something that that is so rare. The antagonist, the villain, Burgermeister Meisterberger, he isn't defeated through any action that anyone takes. Time does it. And, you know, turns out he's not a popular leader. Turns out people don't like uh, tyrants that make their children miserable. Uh, So, you know, his policies were eventually revoked. Sad that it took his death, but, you know, time makes fools of us all. And I've praised Mickey Rooney for sort of aging Santa Claus's voice as the character ages but this Santa Claus voice sounds like he's on the verge of death, just straining to get out every word. <laughs> oh, look what it did to me. I need to I need to sip some water. Okay, water sipped, whistle wet. Now, to enjoy some honey brown ale, which I probably should have mentioned I was enjoying earlier. But hey, it's the holidays. Winter Warlock does not age, because of course all warlocks are immortal. <clears throat> oh, and I should say, uh, Mickey Rooney uh, died uh, the same, actually the same year as Arthur uh, Rankin Jr. Mickey Rooney died in 2014, April 6th, the age of 93, and he was working right up until the end, appearing on talk shows, doing, you know, doing guest spots, doing a bit of voice acting. Now, something that, now this reflects some of the holiday stress I often feel. I've managed to avoid most of it this year, though, thank goodness. But one thing I noticed, I didn't have a chance to comment on it, but there's all that live action footage of children around the live action newsreel footage of children all around the world at the beginning. It strikes me as a missed opportunity when they show those that quick montage of people reacting to the Santa Claus myth at the end. That probably should have been more live action people, maybe some live action adults or something just to sort of contrast uh, that from the beginning. But it's really, really sweet. I do... I do really appreciate this special's message of generosity. I really like the creativity in, you know, creating a magical origin story for 
what is effectively a folk hero, <laughs> at least as the as this uh, special presents it. You know, it's 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 fun. It's really really fun. There is a reason why I come back and I watch uh, I watch this special every year. Not just because I love the difficult responsibility song. <clears throat> and I also just love that little snow buggy. And just the natural way that it sort of bobs and moves as it tears through the snow. And here's what we all came to hear. Santa Claus is coming to town. It's the name of the special. It's also the song that the special is based on. Which is something they would do. They did another special called Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, which was also based on a song. Sort of a country-western song about the... uh, that one is one of the more oh, that's one of the few overtly religious um Rankin Bass Christmas specials cuz it's about the donkey that uh Joseph and Mary uh ride into Bethlehem. There's another one they did. It was like the Christmas Snow or the Miracle of Snow where like it's all like most of the characters are, are nuns. And I love that they're not lazy. This is another thing that is often cut. Uh, when this broadcasts on TV, they just cut to a quick credit scroll. So these are all the other uh, credits. I love that they took the time to make this little sort of like snow parade <laughs> with all the kids. And we refer back to all these characters. We got the Kringles coming back. Oh, that's awesome. I also love this like old hand-drawn kind of 60s font. Like it, Everything that you're seeing here is handmade including the titles and I love the way that just unifies the aesthetic. It's not like they just threw the uh <clears throat> excuse me threw the papyrus font on there. Santa Claus is coming to town in papyrus. Oh, and it's all coming home. The postman is not just narrating the story, he's a part of the story because he's the postman that delivers all of the letters to Santa at the North Pole. Bye, Santa. So, this has been the sequel cast, sequel commentary for Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been a delightful Christmas cracker for you. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more sequel commentaries uh, coming for you. I want to thank Mark with the C from markwiththec.com for doing the theme song for sequel commentary. I want to thank Matt for doing, uh, for getting the sequel, for creating sequel cast and letting me be a part of it. I want to thank Alex uh, for being the uh, the consummate co-host. Uh, and uh, I wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Quasi Kwanzaa, a Tip Top Tet, and a solemn and dignified Ramadan. Have a great holiday this year, everybody, and uh, a Happy New Year from Thrasher, which is me, and the rest of the Sequel Cast family. Check us out at SequelCast.com. Follow us. Follow me on Instagram uh, at WT2Art. Follow the Sequel Cast uh, on all the social medias at the Sequel Cast. Uh, and, uh, yeah, see you next episode. See you when the sequel comes out. <laughs>